Welcome to the Reminders of Grace podcast. The Reminders of Grace podcast exists to provide a reference for truth, promote a refocus on the gospel, and provoke a profound reminder of grace for our lives today. I am your host, my name is Derek, and I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you for your continued support and engagement here. God has been so good and gracious to us in this space, allowing this to still be a thing. And while I myself have very little to offer and am not worth listening to on my own merits, I wholeheartedly believe that we have a message that is worth proclaiming and a kingdom worthy of our efforts to see expanded and then a king that is infinitely deserving of our attention, our affection, and our adoration. On numerous occasions, I've had moments and days and weeks where I'm, I'm just not sure that I can keep doing this. And each time, God's grace shows up and meets me in that place and provides enough to keep going, even if it's filling me up just enough to sit in and then compile and produce the next episode. And for that, I am so thankful. In light of that, let's move our way into part four of our Subtle Stronghold series. A stronghold, as we have established, is a place that we run to. It can provide comfort. It can provide respite or encouragement. However, these strongholds that we are covering are not providing us with lasting versions of those things. In fact, these strongholds are major problems. We tend not to view them that way. We view them as more nondescript, more unsuspecting, more subtle. These things have established a level of permanence, but genuinely should not be there. They are things that seem subtle in our personal valuation and comparison. They're things that in some and perhaps even most cases have settled in and we didn't even really notice. They're places that we run to almost instinctively. And the reality is we must address and deal with these strongholds. Because while we would love nothing more in ourselves than to build walls around these strongholds, to strengthen them, to fortify them, the fact is they will hurt us far more and long before they help us. So let's just get rid of them. Part four of our series will approach yet another issue that we all deal with, something that we all face. Subtle Strongholds Part 4 will cover the subject of doubt. So what is doubt? The dictionary defines doubt this way. The state of being unsure, to consider unlikely, uncertainty about the truth or factuality or existence of something, to lack confidence in, a fluctuation of mind arising from defect of knowledge or evidence, unsettled state of opinion concerning the reality of an event or the truth, hesitation, suspicion, or to question or hold questionable. Now, it's a lengthy definition, and so with that, we go to what has become one of my favorite parts of this series. What can we seek to understand further from this definition? Well, number one, doubt, when experienced, is not a secondary or fleeting emotion, but a dominant state of being. Number two, doubts, our doubts, are expressly linked to 
and almost exclusively directed towards things that are true and things that are factual. Number three, in response to that, while doubt is linked to the truth, it's portrayed as opinion, meaning that if you doubt a factual reality or truth, you're opposing it with an opinion, not a different truth. Number four, doubt keeps us from moving forward how, where, and when we should. Some people from the past had some very interesting and honestly quite confusing things to say about doubt. And if we're being really transparent, just flat out wrong. Descartes said, quote, If you would be a real seeker after truth, it is necessary that at least once in your life, you doubt as far as possible all things, end quote. The founder of Buddhism said, quote, doubt everything, find your own light, end quote. Ironically, taking their advice would mean that we would need to doubt the very things that they said, which really seems contradictory and illogical. These other men may have been revered and or considered wise, but the things they have said about doubt make no sense. So, like we always do, and may we never grow tired of it, let's dive into the Word of God and see what He has to say about doubt. The first example that we come to is Adam, Eve, and the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. For two chapters at the outset of the biblical narrative, we get to see what God did over the course of the first week of time itself. At the beginning of time, God already was. And then he moved. With love and with care and with grace, he created. By the word of his power, the universe and its systems came into existence. For six days, God spoke and it happened as he spoke it to the extent that he spoke it, and for the purpose for which he spoke it. And then, as the sixth day began to come to a close, God stopped speaking, and his next creation would not be one of words, but of labor. It would be a labor of immense and unrivaled love. We've said it on a previous episode, everything that God created, he created with a word. But humans... Well, that's the only creation that God took the time to create with his hands. It shows the care. It shows the love. It shows the value that God, the creator, placed on humankind, his greatest creation. And in a next level move, God creates this man and says, something is still missing. Community. The words he uses are, it's not good for man to be alone. So he created woman. And then we come to chapter 3, and this is where the story changes forever. God gave Adam specific instructions. Eat anything and everything except this. Adam told Eve these instructions. Eat anything and everything except this. Enter the serpent. We are introduced to this character as being the most subtle, and there's a word for us, the most subtle creature. The serpent was an embodiment of the most notable enemy of God, Satan, or the devil. And the serpent comes to Eve and says, quote, Has God said, 
you should not eat of any tree in the garden? This, friends, is doubt. It is the very first time that we encounter it. It is the very first time that it's on display for us. And frankly, time is like maybe one, maybe two weeks old, so it didn't really take long. We mentioned in learning about doubt that while it is linked to the truth, it is portrayed as an opinion. So the very real truth was that God actually did say something. He did give them a command about eating of the trees in the garden. But what the serpent did was take what God said and twist it into an opinion. His question was, did God say that you cannot eat anything? And the answer to that is a resounding no. God did not say that. But by asking it this way, the serpent is instigating doubt. It's meant to force Eve to potentially question what she heard, what she knew. Her response shows, however, that she knew the truth, that she knew the right answer. But that little, tiny, minuscule seed of doubt has been planted. She responds and essentially says, no, that's not right. We can eat anything and everything except for one thing. And she says, God told us not to touch it, which he didn't say, but I respect the boundary. Because you won't eat it if you don't touch it. And then she says this, if we do, we'll die, which is 100% what God said. So it's clear that she knows the truth. She's added some, but it's not really changing the truth. And then comes more doubt. The serpent responds, you will not surely die. Just an outright lie. An outright defiance of the truth. So, God says, we will die. You say, you won't die. Well, both can't be right. Either God, who created everything, is right, or you, who just got here, are right. And the serpent knows that he has no case. There's no argument. There's no back and forth to be had here. So he goes, and this is where he goes next level with the doubt. And here's what he says. For God knows that on the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. So God says don't. The serpent says do. God says if you do, you will die. The serpent says no, you won't. In order to get them to buy this, to buy into this, he has to get them to doubt. He has to present them an opinion that addresses why God said no. The truth is, God said no, that's it. The truth is that God didn't give a reason and he was not and is not obligated to. Remember, like two-week-old universe, God created the whole thing. God does not owe an explanation. But doubt, it leads us to demand one. When we know full well that we don't deserve an explanation, doubt will lead us to demand one. So with this, the seed of doubt, it's watered and it will grow. God said no to this. As the serpent communicates this with Eve, God says no to this because it'll give you something that he doesn't want you to have. God said no to this because there's something good that he's keeping from you. Don't let him do you like that. And Eve bought it. She bought it hook, line, and sinker. Now, anyone who tells you 
that it's the woman's fault only, that she messed it up for everyone. It's just not true. Honestly, it's just not accurate. And here's how I can prove that. Because after this, we see that Eve looked at the fruit. And because of the doubt that had been planted in her mind, because of the the doubt that she had allowed to seep into her mind and hold on to, because of the uncertainty that she now had, she saw that this fruit, it looks good. And she ate it. And here's where it gets dicey, because it says that she gave it to her husband, Adam, who was with her. So she's having this conversation with the serpent, and Adam is right there. It wasn't like I Love Lucy where he came home and was like, Eve, you've got some explaining to do. He was there. He joined in. The doubt that was planted was enough to get them both to defiantly act contrary to what they knew to be true. It was so small. It was so subtle. It was just a question. But with that question, it was a weapon that the serpent used to cause a lack of confidence in the truth and to consider judgment unlikely. But that doubt really made an impact. The next example that we're going to look at is that of Zechariah. Luke chapter 1. It's a semi-deep cut. And a little bit of an overlooked story, but it's important. Because in our first example, we see that the serpent or the devil was really the source of that doubt. But that's not always the case. Zechariah was a priest, and where a prophet would be the voice of God to the people, the priest would be the representative of the people to God. Zechariah had a wife named Elizabeth. The Bible tells us that they were good people. They were faithful to keep the law, and they loved God. But they were old and had not had any children. And we don't get a number of how old they were, but we get an interesting phrase that I'm considering bringing back. It says they were well advanced in years. And I'm here for that. One day the Lord speaks to Zachariah in his old age and says that he and Elizabeth are going to have a son. He was going to be a very vital part of the arrival of Jesus. He was going to be the fulfillment of a number of prophecies. Oh, and Elizabeth, she had a sister that you might have heard of, the Virgin Mary. So this son would be the literal earthly cousin of Jesus. But when Zechariah hears this, immediately the doubts flood in. I'm too old. It's too late. It's not physically possible. We tried for years and years with no success, and now you're telling me it's just going to happen? just questioning the truth, hesitating to believe what he had received. God is saying that this is just going to happen. I'm unsettled and I think that it can't and it won't. And for that doubt and for that failure to believe what God promised, the consequence was that Zachariah would be mute, unable to speak until all that was promised came true. So just over nine months later, Zachariah and Elizabeth give birth to a son, just like God said. His name would be John. He would be the fulfillment of the prophecy that someone would come before Jesus to prepare the way for his arrival and proclaim his message. But doubt is something that we all feel. And I don't say this lightly because I know a thousand percent that it's not easy. But there are people that are where Zachariah was thinking it's not going to happen. It hasn't happened yet, so it just can't happen. 
but those doubts can so easily and subtly become strongholds. We can so easily run to them and think, well, this didn't happen, so I'm hesitant to believe that it ever will. That didn't happen, so I'm questioning if anything will ever happen again. And I get it. You're not terrible for feeling that, nor are you alone in that, but we can't let that doubt become a stronghold for us. I know we've looked at only two examples, and there's definitely more. Doubt is all over the stories that are recounted in Scripture. Religious leaders would doubt the words of Jesus in defiance to his authority. The king of Israel, Saul, and all the people would doubt that God could defeat the literal giant that was in front of them until David showed up and said, God has done this before. He's going to do it again. I know that to be true. The Hebrews would doubt that God was going to care for them in the land that he promised them. They had the evidence of what he had done in defeating the entire army of Egypt. They had seen his provision and his protection in the desert, yet when scouting the land that God had promised for centuries that he would give them, they came back doubting that God was going to be able to make it happen for them. But we want to get practical, and I want us to be able to walk away with something. Contrary to the very confusing things that those philosophers and religious leaders said about doubt, about it being essential to life and that we should doubt all things, God has definitely said that doubt is actually a destroyer of life. It's actually a thief of joy, a thief of peace, and of wisdom. The letter James writes to persecuted Christians and followers of Jesus that had been dispersed because of their persecution. He says to them that we are to ask God for wisdom. God wants us to have wisdom, but because he is the source of all wisdom, we are supposed to ask him for it. But it says that we are to ask without doubting. Because the reality is, what is the point of asking God for something that we doubt he's going to be able to deliver on? Don't doubt a God that loves us and supplies all of our needs. Don't go to him and ask for something saying, God, I need this, but I also doubt that you'll do it. That's how I live sometimes. I'm 100% guilty of this, even more recently than I would care to admit, but it's not okay. God has given me no reason whatsoever to doubt him, to doubt his power, to doubt his provision, to doubt his promises. And the remedy for doubt is faith. Faith is not this mystical thing. It's not believing in something without the ability to prove it. I have a good friend named Ryan who said it this way, faith is trusting in what you have good reason to believe is actually true. Faith is trusting in what you have good reason to believe is actually true. An old saying goes like this, let your faith be bigger than your doubts. We're going to have doubts. We're going to have those moments where we question, where we hesitate, when our minds fluctuate based on the fact that we just can't see the whole picture. But what we have good reason to believe is that God is in control, that he always has been and he always will be. And I place my faith in, if anything, if at the very least I can place my faith in the body of work up until this point. But the question is, where can I find faith? Where do I find faith? Well, there's a verse in Romans 10 that tells us, 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Where do you find faith? You find faith in what God has already said and in what God has already done. As we close, though, I want to mention one other doubter that we purposefully did not talk about. He is known for very little except for this that he doubted. And his name was Thomas. This week in particular, with Easter approaching, I think it's appropriate that we talk about it. And while Thomas gets a bad rep, because the reality is we are most often like Thomas in our doubts. Here's what he said. He said that he would not believe that Jesus had resurrected from the dead unless he could see it himself. Unless he could see the nail prints in his hands and touch them, he would not believe. And what Jesus does after actually rising from the grave and never to die again is he lovingly comes to Thomas and says, See, now believe. And what he says in addition to that is that there are going to be people who are going to not be able to see it physically for themselves that are not going to have the benefit that Thomas did to see Jesus alive, standing with the holes in his hands and his feet, and they are still going to believe. We can still have faith that Jesus died and rose again for the salvation of his people. There are people all over the world that believe this. There are people the world over whose lives have been dramatically changed by this truth. There are people just like Thomas, though, who doubt. There are people who, just like Thomas, are hesitant to believe such a thing, who question it, who lack confidence in it, And you might be listening and you are that person. My prayer is that the doubts that you have would be met with faith. That they would be met with faith to see what God has said and to see what he's already done. So if you would not consider yourself a follower of Jesus or a Christian, maybe you have questions on what that means or what it would look like. Especially this week. What is the Passion Week? What is Easter? That is a good place to be. I want to encourage you to reach out to me. And in just a moment, I'll let you know some ways that you can do that. Know that this is a place where you will be loved and you will find grace for wherever you are in life. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, tell me about it. There are a few ways that you can connect with me by email at remindersofgracepodcast at gmail.com. That's reminders with an S of gracepodcast at gmail.com. In addition, you can find a link to our brand new website, as well as my socials in the info section of this episode. Also, if you could please do me a favor and be sure to leave a review and then click on that subscribe or follow button wherever you engage with the podcast to be certain that you never miss an episode. And as you head into your week, As you navigate through your journey, as you face whatever you face, or as you seek to live on mission, be reminded of his grace and know that no matter what, it is always, every single time, greater still.